This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Yesterday, um, so I was listening to the, I was listening to the news, and um, for the first time, a lot of the missiles landed. The whole Iron Dome, by the way, is Patriot missiles. I don't know if you know that, and the Patriot missiles that we used during the Gulf War didn't work. For some reason, this time it is working. Um, and you know, Hashem always hides himself. And really, at, at this point, there's like two and a half thousand missiles were shot into Eretz Yisrael. And the amount of, someone told me today that less people died this, in the three weeks that they're shooting these missiles, or more, three months, less people died than people died in Israel in car accidents. So you have two and a half thousand missiles killed less people than car normal, regular traffic. So Hashem always hides himself in technology. We talked about this um, um, very, very, very much. I talk about this a lot because because really everything in the world today is is just as big a nace, it's just as big a miracle as Kriyasyamsa at times and Mitzrayim. Um, uh, you know that you could talk to somebody across the world and they could see you. I remember first learning the Medrash in um, in um, Kriyas Yamsuf. There were twelve different rows, twelve different tribes were walking through the rows. So it said that they were able to they were able to talk from one side of the Yamsuf to the other side of the Yamsuf and see the people on the other side of the Yamsuf. Like what are the Nisei Kriyas Yamsuf to put down the Medrash and. Today that would be a joke for us because, of course, the Yamsuf is, is nothing. We could talk from here to Australia, and and we could Skype, and they could see us. So, what they consider a huge miracle today is like basic technology, basic technology. And um, uh, then I remember learning that Bilam, um, which was fascinating, that Bilam, um, when he went to war, so he was flying. He had the kayach of how to fly through Tuma. And he had all his like soldiers with him, whatever it was. And then they took the tzitz and pinchas and he brought them down, whatever it was. And I was like, come on. He was flying? Today, right now while I'm talking, there are millions of people flying through the air at 40,000, unless someone shoots a missile at him, right? 40,000, 30,000 feet in the sky. Bill wasn't 30,000, 40,000. It, it says he hid behind the cloud, but I don't think he was 40,000. So, so, so here we have people that were, were flying, right? Comfortably, very comfortably were flying in these pieces of metal that should not fly. They weigh a lot. Um, we can go underneath the ocean in a submarine. We have telecommunications where we can talk and we are able to see into a person's body, which I'm sure if you were learning the Torah and you heard about this person who could look at someone and tell you um, the different cells in his brain and all, we like, come on, that's wow. Right? So MRIs and CAT scans and x-rays and, and, um, medicines that, that kill bacteria and everything that we have today, they're nice and they're, they're crazy miracles. So how can we not, never believe in God? How can we not all going crazy? And the answer is because the word technology Whatever technology can do takes away from what what Akashbachu. So, so many tzaddikim talk about that. That Hashem is Nister and and He's hidden. What is He hidden in? He's He's hidden. You don't see Him. He's hidden in the technology. So what He did is He gave the human being the brains and the ability to be godly. And instead of saying thank you for that, 
the world turns around and says, you don't even exist. It's all technology. So, um, that's, that's, that's what's really so going on. So, so right, because, because the, the more he hides himself, the more credit you get for believing it's a Muna. In other words, if I tell you right now that it's dark outside, that doesn't mean you have a moon in me. You, you are outside, it's dark. If you look at your watch, it's 10.30 at night. So you believe in Rabbi Wallstein? You don't believe in Rabbi Wallstein. You know, it's dark outside. But if I was to tell you right now that you guys should know that right now it is so bright out there. Right? So, and you would say, if Rebbe says it's bright out there, I'm putting on my sunglasses before I walk out of here tonight. Right? That's a moon. So more Hashem hides, the more he causes you to seek because he's hidden which sort of creates a relationship. The more, you know, the chase, so to say, and the getting close to. You, you, you know, the nigla, the nigla, you don't, you know, what's revealed, you get used to. You know, I was by an eye doctor yesterday. Um, I don't know, my eyes were bothering me a lot. I thought my vision had changed. I can't read things that are closed. And I'm thinking to myself, Oive, who knows, maybe I'm going blind, who knows what's going on in my eyes, you know. You don't want to lose eyesight. That's like... So I went to the doctor, and he puts these drops in your eyes, and your pupils get really big. And, you know, he's looking, and he's looking on my eyes. He's looking so long. He's like getting nervous. And Baruch Hashem, he came out, he says, you glaucoma you don't have, and this you don't have. And he says, your, your, your eyes are perfect. It's probably, you know, allergies that make, you know, make your eyes very dry. Whatever it is, and I and I walked out and I cleaned my glasses so I could actually see what's going on in the world. And I walked out into the in, into the street there on the Coney Island Avenue. And I was like, Hashem, I want to apologize. I really don't thank you for my eyesight until I thought maybe I was losing it. So yeah, because when you're used to something, you know, you take it for granted. So Hashem well, sure got us, got us used to, yeah, but you know, you, you said, let's get going, you know, let's go, hurry up, you know. When you think you're losing your eyesight, but let me tell you something, you know, it's very, very, very different. So, so he's hidden, he's very hidden. So, he created this iron dome before the war, knowing that there will be a war. And he will do many, many Nisim and Aflois, many miracles, and he doesn't want to get credit for it. He wants you to be able to see through the Iron Dome and see, you know, what Akash Baruch Hu is doing. And, and it's interesting because, I think I said, I might have said it last week, that the head of Hamas, so he, um, he, they asked him, you know, you guys, two and a half thousand missiles, you can't hit the, a barn? Like, what's wrong with you guys? Well, you have no aim. He said, I have every one of our missiles, these are not, these are not little firecrackers, every one of our missiles has a guidance, and we are aiming, but the God of the, this is what he said, this, this, this Hamas guy, he said, but the God of the Jews is playing around with our missiles. But he said, don't worry, when the Jews sin, then the God, then the missiles will hit their, their, their spot. This is, like, this is the head of Hamas, okay? So it's not the Iron Dome. Um, even the Iron Dome, when it works, only gets two out of five, two out of eight, two out of ten. So do, you do the math, two and a half, if it takes ten percent of them down, and there's two and a half thousand missiles, saying two hundred fifty down, there's still two, over two thousand missiles. And there are many, many stories of people who just left their apartment, and, and you know, so I heard a story today, which I'm going to repeat, because it was told to me 
by someone that I trust very much. Um, he, his name is Rabbi Auerbach, and he is the head of Bear Miriam, a seminary for girls. Choshua guy. And he called me up today, and he was like, Rabbi Wallstein, I know that you speak and you tell over things. This is something that you must you must repeat. So here, it's not coming from some kid or someone that might have made this up. So he says his daughter, Rabbi Abach's daughter, works um, works in an office, and one of the girl, one of the women in the office came into the office yesterday or the day before. Mamish like shaken up, and they said, "Well, you look like you look like something." What happened? So she said, "My brother is in the Golani Brigade, and he's in um, he's in he's in right now in Gaza." And his job, his unit's job is to go into the tunnels and get these guys out. I mean, that's like the hardest job that there is. So her brother, and I don't know if they're Dati, they're not Dati, it doesn't make a difference. I want you to know that I said last night when I spoke in Boston, in Boston that um, I was very, very disturbed that last week a rabbi got up and um, told a girl at a shear that because she goes mixed dancing, she's going to go to hell. That's what he told her. Now, this girl we happen to be working on to become a Baal's Tshuva, and this, like, turned her so off. Like, he got up and he said, you go mix dancing, you're going to hell. So she called me up, she was all, I can't believe this, I knew this is what rap, you know, this is what Judaism is about, it's threats and criticism, and, and why, how could he say that to me, and, and what would you say? And she, she even said to the rabbi, well, so I said, there's no one on this world, and I said this last night, there's nobody on this world who can say on another Jew that they're going to hell. Why not? Chazar. You were Michal Shabbos. Because the Mishnah says that Hashem waits for a person to do tshuva till the last second of his life. And Miyat, says the Rambam, if the person does tshuva on his deathbed, right? Miyat, he's Mechaper, right? So, how can this rabbi tell this girl that she's going to Gehenna to hell? Maybe this girl is going to do tshuva. Maybe the last second. Maybe tomorrow. So the only one who knows where she's going is God. Because after she dies, there's a judgment. But until then, every Jew has the power to do tshuva. So how can a human being tell another Jew? How can one a Jew tell another Jew, you're going to hell? You can't say that. Maybe this person is going to do tshuva. You can't say that someone's not going to do tshuva. You don't know her bechira. So I, I said, I said, no one has a right to make that comment. The same way, someone who says this person is not shomer shabbos, this person is not from. No, what you have to say is this person is not shomer shabbos yet. This person is not from yet, but this person tomorrow, right? See you tomorrow. And the Gemara says, I hope I'm quoting this correctly because I don't have it in front of me, but I think I'm quoting this correctly. Gemara in Kedushin, if a person says, I'm marrying you, I'm a Nas, that I'm a Tzaddik, is Mekadesh. So Gemara asks, but we know he's a Russia. So, because probably that night he did Judo. And now he's a Tzaddik. It's Gemara. So how could you call somebody a Russia or, right? A person who's a Mahdi, um, a person who's causing other Jews to sin. So there's a, the, it says that a Mahdi, Hashem doesn't give him a chance to do tshuva. Efsha, that person you can call Taka a Russia because he's a Russia. 
But um, to, to, to say that someone's going to hell, there were very big Risham, Menashe, big, big Risham, big, big Risham, bigger Risham than we have in our generation, who did Tshuva. And the last second, famous in the Gemara, he did all kinds of Znus, and he was, this, this, I forgot the name of the time, he was sitting between two mountains, and he was crying, he was crying until he died, and a basketball came out, what? Rabat. Who? Rabat. Rabat? Rabat. I forget. But anyway, he did Tshuva, and, and a basketball came out, that, that the gates of Ganeidin are open to him. So... Every person has the ability to do tshuva, so they're not from yet, they're not Shemr Shabbos yet, right? And um, I explained, I, I said last night, I think this is very, very important, because I deal with a lot of kids that um, because of the way they're behaving, they're causing such aggravation to their parents, right? That 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 that, that, that the parents are like, I don't, I don't, I don't think I, I, I don't want to have anything to do with my child anymore. I mean, I'm, I don't even want to say what they say. And I break it down. I, I sit with them and I break it down. At the end, they're saying, "You're right. I do love him. I'll, I'll take a bullet for him." If somebody walked into the house with this kid, my son, and said, "I'm going to kill you," and he's about to shoot my son, I'll stand in front and take a bullet. I'm like, so "Why would you take a bullet if he's doing all these terrible things?" And the answer is that we love our children. We love these children, even if they're off the derech, but we don't love what they do. I love my child. I don't like what he's doing. I, I don't love things being mechalasha and everything else. That I don't, I don't like what he's doing. I still love him. He's my child. So you have to understand Hashem loves every Jew. He doesn't like everything every Jew is doing. But at the end of the day, if it's your child, right? And we're called banamatem. The mission says, if you're, if we're Hakadosh Baruch Hu's child, he loves every single Jew in the world. He does not love everything that we're doing, but he loves us, and therefore. We cannot judge our fellow Jews. And we have to be there for them. We have to daven for them. And um, he loves every Jew. No question about it. So so anyway, so um, I'm in the middle of telling you a story. What was I telling you? Um, oh, so, so the girl, so the girl, so the girl says that her brother, there was a unit of 25, these Golani guys, Golani Brigade, and they had to go into this house that had a tunnel in the house. And that's where the opening to the tunnel was. And so it's interesting, the Israeli army, the officers go first. They don't send the guys in first, they go first. Yeah, that's that's how it is. I think, if I remember correctly, David Melech and his armies, he went first. Usually, it talks about it. In the other armies, the guy, the generals are in the back, and they send the soldiers. In David Melech, he was in the front, and all the, the big people were in front. Anyway, so this unit goes into this house. And... Um, so there's 25 guys, so like six guys go in with the lieutenant or whatever he was, colonel, go in, and the other guys surround the house to make sure that the house is protected while they go into the tunnel. So the radio guy, like 15 minutes after they go in, he tries to reach his commanding officer, and there's no answer. And they're figuring, uh-oh, you know, the worst thing you do is get captured by these guys. So they're, they're, they're talking outside, what do we do? We should we go, do we go in? Do we stay out? He's not answering. They probably, we have to go in there and, and save this is what she says. This is what her brother told her. So that her brother and the rest of the Hevra, they leave like four or five guys outside, and they go inside. They figure they're going to have a firefight. They're going to have to save their, their commanding officer. They walk in, and standing at the entrance of this hole that's going, this cave, is a rabbi with a long beard, a long frock, like a black, with a, uh, he, he explains what it looks like, like a Hamburg, you know, one of those, or Shiva hats, 
standing there. The, 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 I guess the sergeant, whatever, he says, what are you doing in Gaza? Like, what are you doing in this house? What are you doing in this house? And this is what he says. And, and Rabbi Auerbach doesn't tell stories. These are Cheshavah people. He says, so this man who looked like this tzaddik, listen, said to them, you must get out of the house now, or else in Ivrit, Ivrit be Ivrit. If you don't get out of the house now, there will be many widows, amanot, and many widows and orphans. You have to leave now. So the sergeant says, we cannot leave now. We have to go into the tunnel to find out where our boys are, where they, where they are. And he said, no, I'm not, you're not going into the tunnel. You have to leave the house now. And this soldier says, you don't understand. It's our commanding officer. We're not leaving without him. And this man's blocking the, the doorway to this, this rabbi is blocking the doorway to this tunnel. And he says, I'm really sorry, rabbi, but I got to get you out of the way. And he puts his hands to pull the rabbi out of the way. His hands go right through him. There's nothing there. And all the guys are standing there and they're like, hey, right, you can't believe such a thing. All the guys are standing there and they're like, what, what, what are we watching over here? Who is this? What is this? What? Just tell, just tell me the story. She, he called me today to tell me the story. So, so, wait, not finished. So, these guys are like in total shock. The commanding officer now is coming out of the tunnel. I guess for some reason the radios didn't work that deep, whatever it was. He's coming out of the tunnel and this guy is still standing there. And the commander says, what, what do you do? He's a commander. He says, why is there a rabbi in here? What's going on over here? And he tries to push him out of the way and he just walks right through him. And the six guys walk right through this thing that's talking to them. And he turns around to all of them and he says, I'm begging you, you must leave the house now. And they're all freaked out. I, I don't even want to tell you another part of it because then you totally won't believe the story. But the way he says it over is that, that when he was talking, this malach, whoever it was, was talking, that from his mouth was coming fire. And they're all looking at this and they've never seen anything. Some of them are dati, some of them are not. They're totally freaking out. And he's like, he's like, get out now. And they all run out. He said they were mamish 20 steps out of the house and the thing blew sky high. And he called his sister, because I guess his sister, maybe she's from, and he said, I just saw a malach. And the whole unit, it seems to be, they're just talking, they're telling everyone about this. Apparently people think they're crazy, right? They're telling people, they're telling everyone about this. And th- these guys saw a malach that saved their lives. And, you know, I know a soldier. I know a guy that was a soldier, a young guy, that was in my office for a few months. He came to, to be with his cousin. And he was in Lebanon. And he told me that his unit, young guy, that his unit was being shot at by the, in, in Lebanon, and they were running to, to go into a house to protect themselves. And as they're coming to the door of the house, there's this old lady dressed in black, looked like an Arab, right? And she turned to them and she said, not this house. This house is a death trap, whatever it was. And they're like, should they, a death trap. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a trap. And they looked at her and, and, they were like, maybe she's just decided that she's setting us up. And he said that, he said, when we looked at her, we realized that she wasn't an Arab. She, Mama, she, we saw her face for a second. She looked like a very holy, like, like you think Sari Mena would look like. And she said, listen to what I'm saying. Don't go into this house. And they ran down the block. 
right? And the mortar shells and shooting was chasing or whatever it is. And they turned around and that house went kabunga. They blew it up. It was a trap. And the woman was not there. They said they turned around. She was not there. And he said that we came back and we started telling these stories. And he's like, well, the next unit, we wanted to go somewhere. And there was some woman who told them not this house. And then the next unit, he says, they're all sitting here talking. And one unit is telling another unit, this same lady was was 20 miles away 10 minutes later. So, in this destruction and in this war that's going on, there's many Nisan Vinifloys that the Kurdish Baruch was doing outside of the missiles. And I, and I said, I said last night that, you know, we're all saying Shir Hamalos and we're all praying after davening and during davening that Hashem should protect our soldiers. That's Bakasha. We're asking for stuff. But you also have to have a kara. You have to have a kara satov. So, outside of that, we have to thank Hegel Hashem Kitov that, that there are two and a half thousand missiles Hashem made land in fields, not blow up, ended up falling back in, in Gaza. And it's mamish like the miracle when the Mitzrayim was shooting spears at us. We're the Nane It's the same, it's, you know, it's the same miracle. We have to go past the Iron Dome. We have to see and, and say that Arabs don't know what they're doing. They know how to shoot. There were places where they, where they shot the American embassies and they, they killed hundred in Saudi Arabia. They know, they know how to blow people up. They, they know how to kill people. So we have to, outside of, and that's why when I heard yesterday that more missiles landed in Israel than ever, that the Iron Dome did not take down, I felt that maybe we're just not giving across the Tov. You know, we're asking, save us this, that, and the other thing. We're not appreciating the miracles that Akrish Baruch Hu is doing for us. So I think in everybody's tefillah, when you say modem or whenever, that we have to thank Hashem and say, we know what, who's really like, like, like the head of Hamas. We know who's playing with the missiles. It, it ain't Hamas. It's a Kodesh Baruch Hu. We have to have a lot of, we have to have a lot of a Kodesh for Kodesh Baruch Hu. Anyway, that's the story I heard today, and I'm sure we'll hear many, many stories. So you hear many stories, but this came from a very reliable source. Now you're there. Now you're there. Don't try to figure out who that but person it is. It's like this, where, where people like that that are like Jewish and whatever they believe in God, but they're, they're not as religious and they're not they're not doing what they should be and they don't pray daven three times a day, they don't daven at all. It's times like this where those types of people should like really open their eyes and say, like, "Wow, listen, look, like okay, when, one, when you don't when you don't want to see, see when, it, but it's actually seeing well, it. When you don't want when you don't when you don't want to see when you don't want to see something, it's it's te- it's technology. And and if you would tell these people the story that I just said with the fire and the rabbi, they'll tell you that these guys were having um, uh, trauma from the war and they started seeing things. So, there's always an answer if you don't want to see. Amolik stood. Amolik stood and saw Kriyas Yamsov. They saw the, the Kriyas Yamsov. Amolik saw it. How could they not believe in Hashem? They said that Kriyas Yamsov was an earthquake in the in the Yamsov that caused. A splitting of the Yamsuf, and the Jews haven't just have been at, the, at that moment in the right place. If you don't want to see something, you're not going to see it, you know? So, uh, you take off the 3D glasses, you don't see the 3D anymore. So the, the people who don't want to see will still, are still not, no matter what God will do in the world, the people that don't want to see will, will blame it on science, nature, technology, and, and, and everything else. And the people who do want to see, will see it in the flower. They don't need, they don't need a, a, a malach. Saving a bunch of Israeli soldiers, they, they just look at a rose or a thorn, and, a, and you know, putting seeds into the ground, and, it, and things growing from, you know, it's amazing. So, so you're right; they should see it, but they don't see it. And if they hear these stories, they're like, "Well, ah, yeah, fatigue, battle fatigue, 
and then you guys wanted to see that, so you saw it. A person who doesn't want to believe in Hashem, which brings me to something very, very interesting that um, that happened um, yesterday, uh, two days ago. So two days ago, a girl came to my office on Monday. What's today? Tuesday. No, so one day ago. Monday, yesterday. So a girl came to my office, and she's really had a very hard life. Um, and she's going through a divorce. So she's really having a hard life since she's a little girl. And um, she just sat there after the whole discussion. I'm helping her, whatever. She says to me, I, I have to ask you a question, Rabbi. I'm like, okay. She goes, what's going on? Why, why am I... Why am I going through what I'm going through? And my friend is going through this. And this is, my brother passed away. And this happened and that happened. And, and now look what's going on in Israel, right? We had one place to go. Everyone usually vacations in the summer. Kids go to camp in Israel and people fall. Airplanes are not going to Israel, right? Why? I don't understand why. It's a question that a lot of people ask. So, so I gave her an answer which, which I never spoke about before and I think it's a very fascinating answer and a very good answer. And um, you have to be a little bit creative and a little bit out of the box to understand this, but I, I'm going to explain to you. And, 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 and Rav Chaim Vital talks about Mashiach and the times of Mashiach and that there's a lot of tikkunim, so there's a lot of suffering, good things, bad things, marriages, divorces, having a child and getting married again and having another child with another neshama, different neshamas. A lot, a lot, he talks about this a lot. And... And Kaisal suffering, and that's why, you know, it's called the birthing pangs of Moshiach. Because the greatest pain that the woman has when she gives birth is the last push. When you, when you, when you're giving birth. Until then, you know, you're uncomfortable, but when your mom is giving birth, that last, you know, that last push is the hardest push. And that's, that's the push of Moshiach, and that's, that, there's no Shiloh. You know, um, brought down in the Gemara, it's brought down somewhere, maybe it's a Gemara, I think it's a Gemara, maybe not, it's a Gemara, where it's brought down that Mashiach, the war of Mashiach, someone just quoted it to me today, the war of Mashiach will start before Shemitah, it will last the whole Shemitah, there will be a lot of things going on, and then at the end of that, end of Shemitah, Mashiach will come. What's Shemitah? Shemitah is every seventh year, we have Shemitah in Israel. So guess what? Shemitah is this year. Is this Rosh Hashanah? The war started before Shemitah, and it brings out very clearly that Mashiach will come um, at the end of at the end of Shemitah. The year is not going to be an easy year, whatever it is. And if you just look at what's going on in the world, it's pretty crazy that the Russia uh, everywhere, everywhere, the whole world's sort of collapsing little by little. Did you, did you hear about so that? I just let me let me finish. So um, so there's a lot of signs. Am I am I telling you that Mashiach is coming today? Yes, of course, Mashiach is coming today. I said it this morning. I said, Ani Mamun, Murushalayim, Vyasa Mashiach. But Afal Pishiyas Mamaya, even though it takes, it took this long, right? Imkos, with all this, Achakalo B'chol Yom Shavu. I'm waiting for him every day. So I don't need a war. And I don't need, you know, people speaking and telling, I'm waiting for him every day. But the signs are, signs are all over the place. You know, it says in times of, of, of there'll be chutzpah, it's chutzpah. Parents, fathers won't get along with their sons. Fathers don't get along with their sons. Their sons won't get along with their fathers. It'll be a door of chutzpah, like a dog. It's all, it's all, it's all there, right? Um, also, it says very interesting that it'll be a time where people are not hungry for water or bread. We're not. Everyone, Baruch Hashem, pretty much has water and bread, but they'll be hungry for the words of God. Never ever were there shiurim on the level of you know. I, I just spoke. I spoke up in the mountains last week on Thursday for women on a day when there's pool. Before the, before the nine days, pool and sunlight and 
There were like 350 women there. Like, hello, go to the pool. Like, why are you coming to listen to me, right? The answer is everybody is looking for inspiration. And the Gemara says in the times of Mashiach, food will have, you'll have food in the bungalow, there's food. And you'll have seltzer in the refrigerator, Diet Coke. But you'll be looking for inspiration. There are many, there was a sheer Today, in my, in, in my bungalow colony, there were 300 women. What are you doing? Okay, so today you understand a little bit, it's nine days. You know what I mean? But during, during, it was a beautiful day in the summer to come. So the, it, all the simanim are there. Okay, well, Hashem has to have Rachmanus on us and whatever. Anyway, so, I want to tell you what I told this girl. You have to have a little bit of an imagination. I told this girl the following. I said, this, a, this woman has a beautiful dress. Right? She has this beautiful dress. And we will make believe that this dress has a life. Okay? In your head. So this dress is in the closet. It could be a man's suit. The same story. It doesn't make a difference. This dress is in the closet. And it's not going anywhere. It's just sitting in that closet on a hanger. And one day, the woman walks into the closet. And she's like, I need a beautiful dress for a wedding. I'm going to a wedding tonight. And she starts looking and she comes to this dress. And of course... What's the objective of a dress? To be worn. Not to sit in a closet, right? So the dress is very happy because now it's being chosen to be worn at a wedding. And the woman picks up the dress, the, the, the hanger, and looks at the dress and says, Oh, I forgot after the last, I forgot to take this to the cleaners. It's a very big stain on it. Can't wear it tonight. And she hangs it back up. And of course, the dress is like, Oh, man. You know? Fine. Takes a different dress. Two nights later, comes back into the closet, picks up the dress again, I gotta go to bar mitzvah. Looks, oh, I can't believe it, I didn't take it to the cleaners. Hangs it up again. The dress is like, oh man, this is crazy. I have this beautiful dress and I have nowhere to go. Next day, she comes back from the bar mitzvah, she remembers and she says, I must take this dress to the cleaners because next week I have a wedding, I really want to wear this dress. So she takes, they have to understand the dress. The dress has never been in the cleaners. So this is a new experience. The dress is, where is she taking me? So she takes her off the hanger and she puts her in a plastic, puts this beautiful dress in a plastic bag. So first of all, it's suffocating in this bag, right? Where is she taking me? So she takes him to the cleaners, right? And this dress is being brought to the cleaners. What's the cleaners? So the guy takes the dress, right? And she says, I have a big stain right here. So, oh, so I don't know if you've ever gone to the cleaners. When you have a special stain, they take a little pin, right? A little safety pin. And they put it with a, with a little, little note on it, right? Stain. So they, they hit that spot. Right, sticker. So they, they put this pin never through this poor dress. It's like, oh, what are you doing? Right? But his mom is putting it on the stain. Now they take it to the guy. He takes that, that steamer thing, right? And they put chemicals on it and then they use it on the stain itself. Right? And it's like, oh, that hurts, right? The dress. It's a dress. Right? You, 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 it's very hot. You're steaming it. That really hurts. Okay, but that's it. It's over, right? I'm done. Uh-uh. Now the dress, the whole dress has to go. That was that one spot. Now the whole dress has to go into that cleaning, dry cleaning machine. You see a dry cleaning machine? It's like a washing machine, right? So they put all these chemicals in and this poor thing is on spin, you know, cycle and it's like, shh. And this poor dress is like, never did this before and it's like, what is going on here, right? Going through all this pain, you know, steam and pressing and, and, and it's tumbling and it's tumbling for like 25 minutes with a bunch of other Dresses that have stains, right? And they're all tumbling and tumbling and they're all screaming and yelling and get me out of here, right? Finally, it's over. And he opens up the thing and he takes the dress out and she's like, the dress is like, I made it. Okay, Baruch Hashem, right? No, no. Now we have to press you. 
So they put this big machine, and they got to press the dress, and it's hot and it's squishy, and it's getting pressed, and it's getting iron, and finally gets into a plastic. And the dress says, I don't understand. Why do I have to go through all this? This is crazy. You know what I just went through? Needles being stuck through me, all this. This is crazy. And they take the woman picks it up, takes it home, pays for it, takes it home, hangs it up in the closet. So the dress is back in the closet. Now it's covered in plastic, and it's like, I just went through Gehenna. Literally went through Gehenna. And the lady comes back out, and she walks into the closet, and she says, Oh, I'm going to take this, I'm going to wear this for the wedding. And she takes it off, she takes it off the hanger, and she gets dressed, and she puts it on, and she goes to the wedding, and everybody's walking over to this lady. I have never seen such a beautiful dress. Where did you get this dress? Ah, it's gorgeous. It looks great on you. It, 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 you know, it, it just, it's just... You know, maybe she's the mother of the bride or the grandmother, whatever it is. It makes the simcha, you just look fantastic. And the dress is like, yo, you know, it's me in the dress. You know, I'm, I'm the great dress. It's not the lady, it's the dress. They're, they're not commenting her, they're commenting on me. What a beautiful dress. Where'd you get her from? And she's like, Bloomingdale's on sale and got some ice. So I tell finally to this girl, and she's looking at me a little weird. Right? And she goes, so why are you telling me this? I'm like... <laughs> Because you and the rest of the generation that we're in is that dress. And we have been in the closet. And until Mashiach comes, we're in the closet. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants to wear that dress. And he wants to bring the Beit HaMikdash and he wants to bring Mashiach. But every time he goes to the dress, there's a stain. There's the Averis that we have done through Gullahs. You can't bring Mashiach till finally the day comes and Hashem says, yeah, there's going to be a Gaza, and there's going to be cancer, and there's going to be divorce, and there's going to be kids that are off the derech, and there's going to be struggles in Parnassah, and there's going to be tumbling and pressing and pins and needles, but I am going to clean this dress so that the time will come that when Mashiach comes, it just happens to be interesting that I'm saying a dress because I myself saw a Zayar that says, it's in Tazri I believe, the Zayar says that every time a person dies, every time the Goyim assassinate or kill a Jew because they're Jewish, Hashem takes that person's, the most picture of that person and he sews it onto a coat that he will wear when Mashiach comes of all the Jews that died that were put to death by the Goyim and when he wears that robe, the Goyim will have nothing to say. Why, why don't we have Mashiach? Why do the Jews have Mashiach? Because it will all be there. All six million Jews are on there. All the Spanish Inquisition, all the Jews that were killed in, in the wars, you know, that because we're Jews. So there is something that Hashem is going to wear. It's not a dress. The Zayar says, very, he's going to take it out. And it talks about in that Zayar that Mashiach, he sees it, he sees it in Shemayim, and he keeps asking Hashem, when are you going to avenge it? I still desire myself. So, so, so there will come a time, and that's what we're going through right now. Right now, Kleisrol is in the dry cleaners. And we're going through a purification. And that's the gullus that we're in. But we need to know that the, the, the outcome of all this pain is that the dress will be worn. And that Kleisrol will be Will be, will be freed, and that Mashiach will come, and the Goyam are gonna say, wow, where'd you get such, where'd you get these kids from? Where'd you get Klai Yisrael from? And Kashbach will tell them, they're the only ones who said, now it's the Venishma. 
when I asked them to give the Torah, when I asked to, to become my nation, you all turned around, you all turned around and said, I don't want that dress. But my children, these are my children, they said not to the Nishma. And I said to this girl, I said, so you have to know that your life, your Nishma, whatever it is, is in the dry cleaners. But let me tell you, after all the pain, after 120 years, you're going to be the beautiful dress that's going to fit in your nation. She walked out okay. She walked out, she said, you come find me, you, you, you comforted me. And that's what we're going through right now. The wars and all the stuff, all the terrible stuff. We're in the dry cleaners. I hope we're pressed. I hope you're putting, putting us on the hangar already. <coughs> you know, to, to put us in the, and, and we are. We, we've gone through a lot of noise and everything else. And, 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 Hashem, we are in this beautiful dress. We are what he's going to show to the whole world. So we should be able to see that with her. That's 100%. It's a very different, um, different way of, uh, of looking at what going through pain and tragedy and goals is. I want to end with a story that I heard, I heard this week about Shemir Shabbos and Baruch Hu. Yes, people come and tell me, people come and tell me stories, cause, but this, but it's interesting, they're not really, the rabbi told me today, he said, you have to say all this story because it's so crazy with the, with the, with the soldier, but um, a lot of people just tell me, tell me things because, you know, they, they hear me speak and they, 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 they say, you told me, well I have such a story, same kind of story. Anyway, this is a story about Shemir Shabbos. So you all know about this, a sure, who are we? So you know there's a shul in, um, in our park called Shemr Shabbos. It's only a 20 by 100. It's a little building. It has more minyan and it's unbelievable. So the last minion, the last official myrib, official, is like 3 o'clock. Official. I've been at that minion sometimes. I missed the plane. The plane came in late, you know, for whatever it is. So once in a million years I go to the Three o'clock million, and I look around, there's like 20 guys, and I'm like, I know why I'm here, why you guys get away. Three o'clock in the morning? Three o'clock in the morning, go tonight. Full house. Full house, go tonight. Myra? Myra, full house. You're not talking about 10 guys, you're talking about a lot more than 10 guys. Why are you not, why are you I don't know why they're not sleeping. Well, some of them, some of them is very interesting, so some of these young guys, because they were on a date, and they're already like getting close to engagement, so they're after 233, they drop off the girl, they're gonna go down Myra. What happened? So, you know, it's like, there are guys in, you're not finished at 7, 8 o'clock. I'm saying. Uh, they're going out of it. 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 they are going uh, it happened not late, not that long ago. So, so there's this, so there's a guy there. Well, whatever he runs, he's a guy like Shamus, whatever, whatever. Anyway, so so someone calls someone calls um calls the shul and says, um, what time is your latest minion? Says I don't know, two thirty, around three o'clock. Says I want you to do me a favor. My plane was very delayed. So the thunderstorms were going on over here, and they were canceling late. So my plane was very very delayed. Um, it was like 2 o'clock or 2.15 or 2.30 at that point. He said, do me a favor. It's the last day of my father, of the year, the 11 months. Tonight and tomorrow is my last day of saying I haven't missed davening for the omelet. And could you hold the minion? Could you just make sure that I get the omelet? So he'll like, 3 o'clock is no here. No one's going to take that. Take that chance. Yeah, sure. Be here by 3 o'clock, you have the omelet. I'll make sure you have the omelet. No problem. No, this poor guy, whatever, went wrong with that plane. The luggage didn't come out. So he calls, he calls Shemir Javis, and he says, um, 
I'm not making that minion. I can't, I'm not making 2.33 o'clock minion. My luggage is not here yet. Um, are you sure like 3 o'clock is the latest? So I said, yeah, that's pretty, pretty much the latest. He said, um, okay, what, you know, what should, what, what, you know, I, I definitely want you to Kennedy or Newark. I can't be there before like 4 o'clock. You mean, so you'll find your luggage later. That's a big thing. I guess he couldn't find it. He couldn't wait to find the luggage. He was making, catching another plane. I don't know. He wasn't, it was already too late. And this and the lady was downstairs. It wasn't happening. It wasn't happening. So he said, okay, well, you know, it's an item. Which I do. Yeah, yeah, You know, I can't ask people too late. Fine. So, so, um, so he'll ask, well, give me your number. Maybe it'll be a meeting. Maybe something will happen. Whatever. Fine. Anyway, make one too short. The guy's in the shul, he sees tumult back and forth, the what's going on? This guy is a kid, it's his last day, but he's stuck in the airport, and one, he shouldn't come down yet, and taxi, this, that. He's probably not going to be here until 4 o'clock, 3 o'clock means ready to go. And they're like, no problem, we'll wait. He showed up at 4.25. Wow. And they all... 4.25 or 4.15, they sat at 3 o'clock to 4.15, a million a guy. We were ready to dive in at 3 o'clock. That's a lot of guys. Hour, 10 guys, minions. An hour, an hour and 15 minutes at that time in the morning, this guy showed up, did a mistake. That's when you feel the other guy's your brother. You're brother, you wait. It's crazy. It's a crazy story if you think about it. At 3 o'clock, you're tired. You know, you don't sit there until some guy shows up at 4.20. You know what I mean? They waited, he had a minion, he was like, just, I mean, you can't even understand, I said, cash my father, he was like, I did a, I did a miss a minion. 4.15 in the morning. That's quite strong. That's, that's who we are. So I think that, uh, I think we're out of the cleaners, and I have a book to put on his, his beautiful baguette, which is quite strong. And then the, the gullets that we're going through, we're going through to, you know, to get cleaned up. So, um, my bracha to everyone here is that, uh, we should be zeicha, karayif, and there, 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 there seems to be a chazal to back it up. That I, it's brought down for sure that Shvi is the time of Mashiach, Shemitah. Shemitah is the time of Mashiach. And um, maybe, and I'll end with this thought, maybe, I didn't see this anywhere, but why, why Shemitah? Why Shemitah this man of Mashiach? Why not the other six years? Because Shemitah is a year of totally of having a murder. I'm not planting. I'm not a farmer, right? I have no parnasa. Totally, the year of Shemitah, you're totally slave of Hashem. You didn't plant, you didn't hire, you just, it's all God. You didn't do anything. There's no, the farmer does nothing. There's one of the reasons Shemitah is a, the guy, the farmer is, is kind of collecting other. He sees, he plants, he waters. It's meat, right? It's meat. He irrigates, even if there's no rain, right? So one year out of the seven years, we need to, we need to bring you back to reality. It's not you, right? It's not you. So that year he doesn't plan. So Shemitah is a year of total emun and Hashem. So maybe the need that you need is, if you have total emunah in me, in Shemitah, then I don't have to be Nister anymore. The whole reason Hashem is mystery hidden is so that you should look to him. And that if you if he's hidden and you believe in him, that's true emunah. So why does it need to be hidden anymore? We're showing him in Shemitah that we have total emunah. So maybe... Midah, the reason that Mashiach comes in Shemitah is because of Shemitah is a, is a time of the moon. So we're going through a war and we're going through hard times, but we're going into a year that quite, quite so celebrates a year of 100% total
You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.